Welcome back to In the Queue. I am your co-host, Andrew. And today's film, I think, may have ignited a lifelong love for film noir and P.I. movies in this soul right here. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. That's great. Um, I, yeah. I remember I saw this movie when it came out when I was a child, and I uh, was really feeling sorry for the cartoons in this movie because they were getting abused so much. <laughs> Did you ever watch Tom and Jerry? Not really. Uh-huh. Yeah. See, there you go. There you have Did you it. Watch the Three Stooges. No, not really. I I was a very sensitive child. Yeah, that yeah. I, em- I was gonna say I empathize a lot with uh, with people being abused. I'm like you. Too much. Yeah, no, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, today's movie that we're gonna be talking about is the 1988 classic Who Framed Roger Rabbit, directed by Robert Zemeckis. It is a listener request, and that listener. Is Emily. Emily, say hi. Hello. Hey, Emily. Uh, thanks for joining us again on the show. Emily has been on the show before, and uh, and we're happy to have you back. But before we get to talking about the <laughs> there movie... There's a caveat. <laughs> there's a caveat. You like to be on the show, except... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> except uh, we need to talk about how to find us. Uh, you've probably already found us if you're listening, but uh, just so you can spread the n- good news to your friends... That's right. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, oh, no. just spread the good news. Uh, you can first go to our website. Oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> www.it-the-q.com. That's the letter Q. <laughs> uh, uh, that's, that's the first place that you can find us. And, uh, and there you can do uh, exactly what Emily has done and leave us a suggestion of a film that you would like us to watch and talk about. And we will have you on the show, much like Emily is right now, to talk about the movie. Uh, We encourage you to do that there. Or, alternately, you can do it on our Facebook page, which is uh, easily searchable in the queue, Q-U-E-U-E, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. And that you can find on Facebook. Like that page. will pop up in your feed. And you can also leave us suggestions, like I said. Additionally, Mm. we post... Supplemental material that uh, helps broaden your appreciation of the film. Yes. Or maybe it's just a silly silly little uh, aside. Mm-hmm. But either way, fun stuff. Lastly, you can find us on iTunes, searching for In the Queue, Q-U-E-U-E, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. And you can subscribe to our podcast there and just get every single episode delivered straight to your doorstep. On your doorstep in digital format. Like the Milkman... Of old. That's right. Of yesteryear. Of yesteryear. Uh, so as I said, today's movie is Who Framed Roger Rabbit? And Emily, please tell us why it is you recommended that we watch this film. Hmm. I Ooh. enjoy this film because, I mean, <laughs> it's it's funny um, that, in yeah, a way. Yeah, yeah huh, it's funny. Yeah, indeed. Um, in that it's kind of the crude humor for Disney with animation. Um, and I think it saved Disney in the eighties. Um, and different in like films like Mary Poppins where, um, 
they are joining live action and animation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think technologically, it's mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's probably as good a place to start as any, but let's just briefly describe the plot for those who may not have seen this film. Uh, the film involves a PI, as I mentioned in my opening, by the name of Eddie Valiant, who is caught up in a whirlwind mystery uh, that uh, basically gets him in over his head. He's kind of... Uh, he, he doesn't want to have anything to do with tunes. Toon, I should say, the most important thing, tunes and humans live, coexist yeah. in the same world. And, uh, and tunes are just actors. When you watch a cartoon, essentially in this world, you are seeing actors who happen to be of the tune variety. And they live in a place called Toontown. And um, Eddie Valiant, through taking a small uh, sort of snooping gig from R.K. Maroon, the head of Maroon Pictures, uh, which is one of the most famous uh, companies in this in this fictional sort of uh, Los Angeles, uh, he gets wrapped up in this sort of uh, caper involving Roger Rabbit and his wife Jessica Rabbit and Judge Doom, who's sort of uh, a force that is trying to impose uh, order in this sort of crazy and, mm-hmm. and wackadoodle world of Toontown. Um, and I, it should be said that Eddie is mourning the loss of his brother. He has sort of been living without his brother who was murdered by a tune. Mm-hmm. So he has an aversion to tunes, but he and Roger through various different circumstances end up sort of having to work together much to his chagrin and, and everybody else he has to work with, uh, in order to figure out who has been sort of murdering key individuals uh, in order to try and uh, maybe wipe Toontown off the map, yeah, it seems it's a really twisty plot. If you were to just sort of break it down, it's it's it in, the, in the classic film noir sense of the word. Yeah, definitely, and that's part. That's why I say this is one of those films that sort of ignited a love of film noir. I think in my bones at a very young age. Um, this movie came out when I was eight years old. Uh-huh. Me too. Uh, and you were also eight years old. And uh, I, 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 one of the things that I love about this film uh, is the the adult nature of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, like how incredible! Like this this movie has sex and death and murder and drinking and smoking and you know all and and curse words and everything and it's only rated pg this ah, i was so excited this is like back Rabbit is not pg <laughs> <laughs> it's just Rabbit, just by her very nature is not pg um and and it, you know i mean it's exciting even now to go back and, and watch this because uh because it is it is so so an adult tale but as you say emily it's so funny at the same time and it's so uh cartoonish mm-hmm. uh as you might imagine, with uh, many of the characters in the film being cartoons. Yeah, it's very uh, apropos. It is very apropos. Um, but as you were saying, Emily, the sort of uh, this was, I think, pitched when it was originally made as a ploy. Not a ploy, but it, part of the pitch was that they wanted to save Disney's animation because Disney's animation had hit a rough patch 
and they were not making uh, blockbuster films anymore. Uh, they were not doing particularly well overall. Um, this is pre uh, Little Mermaid, mm-hmm. Disney pre yeah pre Disney Renaissance, uh, and they they along with a number of the other great animation studios, Fleischer Pictures and Warner Brothers, of course, uh, and a, a whole a number of others, um, in a very historic, you know move were brought together on this film to all contribute their own creations to the movie. So, you know, we see Donald Duck and Daffy Duck in the same scene, right? We see uh, Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny in the same scene (laughs) because these guys are the, you know, iconic characters from each of these studios. Um, I mean, it was a really when when this came out. I remember how big a deal it was. I mean, I was only eight years old, but I remember it being just massive. This is one of the first times that I ever saw behind the scenes, you know, uh, footage and and mm-hmm. featurettes, you know, yeah. talking about like how they made the film and and the sort of politics of getting all these famous animators to sort of get together. I remember when it came out, I had a subscription each month to Premiere Magazine. And I just devoured that magazine every month, and it was sort of like leaning more towards the popular end of of movie making. Yeah. yeah. And so it was mostly about Hollywood films, and there was a series of of production stills. And I, I the one that I remember the best was the scene where Roger Rabbit and Eddie Valiant are handcuffed, and Valiant is trying to hide him from the investigating weasels. <laughs> and yeah, and yeah. so. Uh, Roger Rabbit's in the sink under the water, and it, it appears as if Valiant is doing dishes. Um, and then occasionally, Roger Rabbit like comes up for air and and spits water out of his mouth. That's real water. Um, yeah. The 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 rabbit is animated, but he's actually there's actually real water coming out of his mouth, which I think is a good illustration, uh, no pun intended, of <laughs> of the the depths that these animators were were wanting to go to. To make it as a seamless integration as possible of the real and the animated, and so in the in the actual stills, um, they showed how there was some kind of like a, a curved, really thin metal pipe that that was squirting water, and yeah. for the finished yeah. product, they just obscured the pipe with the animated cell, uh, but they had to sync it all perfectly. I mean, you, you just look at the eye lines. When the eye lines in this movie are unbelievable. Yeah, when when uh, mean, Valiance is looking up at the gorilla, the the bouncer who's the, this giant gorilla, like they had to get all that like down before they shot they shot a frame. You know, they had to really plan it out, and it it still holds up really well. You know, two decades later. Yeah, yeah, almost three decades later. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I I actually the eye lines. I'm glad that you talk about that because as you know very well and anybody who listens to the podcast knows i get very frustrated with sloppy and lazy special effects Mm. and i think that most movies that are made nowadays have sloppy and lazy special effects that they don't bother to to really uh qc you know before they get them out there in the world and one of the things that is the most telling of sloppy special effects is eye lines. If their eye lines aren't right, if the human beings are not looking at an object mm-hmm. that has been created out of nothing, uh, then it it ruins the illusion. Yeah, you know. 
and uh, and in this film, and even in in movies like, uh, for instance, I was thinking while I was watching this about Jurassic Park, the first Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. uh, the Steven Spielberg Jurassic Park, and of course Steven Spielberg was a huge, huge part of making this film too. He was one of the uh, executive producers. Um, in Jurassic Park, you can look at that movie today, you know, mm-hmm. twenty twenty almost twenty five years later, and it looks. Great. It looks spectacular. Yeah. The special effects are fantastic. It's still scary. It's still scary. Yeah. Well, that's that's just the Spielberg filmmaking <laughs> <laughs> at work. But the but those those dinosaurs look real. They look better than 90% of what people are doing nowadays. And it's been a huge amount of time and the and computer graphics have advanced tremendously mm-hmm. in that time. Yeah. And yet we're looking at movies that look worse than a movie that's almost 25 years old. And I thought the same thing when I was watching this. I was just thinking to myself, like, God, it's it's really not that hard to – I mean, I, I guess it is that hard seeing how infrequently people do it. But it seems like they don't care about uh, deepening the illusion by just ensuring that, for instance, when a character looks up into – a live-action character looks into the eyes of – an animated character, it looks like they're looking into their eyes, not past them 20 feet or above their head or, right. you know. Yeah, I think um, eyeline is is not really the type of problem that you need to throw money at. Uh, it's sort mm-hmm. of like, it's something you can figure out on the cheap before you start doing any kind of special effects. Oh, and, yeah. You know, I think maybe people who, who venture into the world of special effects on a movie may be thinking like, okay, well, this is what our budget is. What can we get with this money? And, you know, let's let's focus on the things that we can create, you know, yeah. with what we've got, rather than thinking ahead and just being kind of proactive about it. Right, right. Um, but um, interestingly, this movie is a, it's a really great seamless, you know, melding of, of animation and live action. But as Emily alluded to, it's not the first or even close to being the first example of that particular sort of genre. Oh, yeah, not at all. Um, there is an older movie by the name of Anchors Away that features Tom of Tom and Jerry. Uh, With Gene Kelly. Gene Kelly, yeah. You mentioned Tom and Jerry earlier. And, uh, and then that, after that, you've got, you know, Decades later, you've got Mary Poppins in the '60s, Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Uh huh. And then there's the um, oh, mind blanking. The Brer Rabbit story. Song of the South. Song of the South. Yeah, yeah. Song of the South. Which, yeah, absolutely. Most haven't seen, but although Emily pointed well, out when we were watching this that um, the bear from Song of the South is actually yeah, Brer Bear, a, a bit player in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. You see him walking across. He just kind of crosses the frame at one point. Yep. 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 So. Yep. Well, there's a, there's about a million cameos from different. I mean, even so far as like the, the the plants from the the Disney film Flowers and Trees, which was yeah, right, yeah. very early on. I mean, like, I mean, you got to be a, a a student of history or a fan of animation to to spot those kinds of things, right? Yeah. Um, but it's it's fun for for people who who are in the know, and I'm sure for the animators. I mean, you know, animation is uh, just filled with uh, stories of people 
inserting inside jokes, right? Or references oh, yeah. to previous animators work. And there are definitely some examples of rather naughty inside jokes in this movie. I don't know how much <laughs> you've heard or read about this. What, uh, there's a couple, what, what are you thinking specifically? There's a, a couple scenes where, like, in the beginning, when Baby Herman first walks, storms off the set of his cartoon, uh, it's the, it's the opening scene in the film, and, uh, he, like, pushes past this woman in a skirt, and he actually goes, uh-huh. walks between her legs, and just kind of like, get out of my way! But, um, if you actually go frame by frame, for, like, for that moment, like, his expression grows increasingly more uh let's say lascivious the the <laughs> more he gets underneath her skirt and then he sticks up his hand and his middle finger is very clearly extended as he shoves it up in the, into her skirt <laughs> and his face looks really like devilish and and horny and then uh another scene when Jessica Rabbit and Eddie Valiant are are in the 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 Benny, the animated cab, mm-hmm. and the cab crashes, and they go flying out of the cab into the ground. Uh, Jessica Rabbit is spinning around in the air, and if you were to go frame by frame, there's a moment supposedly where her legs are open, like facing the camera. Yes, and um, there there is some debate as to that uh, uh-huh. whether that is truly the case. Yeah, I, ha- I haven't um, heard the controversy myself. <laughs> Well, I mean, like even even things like the uh, the cover of the original the original poster for the Little Mermaid, one of the towers on the castle is supposedly a penis. Yeah, we. You know, I have that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As do I. I've got the VHS yeah. uh, tape with the with the penis tower uh, also, <laughs> that they removed from later versions. It's supposed to be one part of Aladdin, Disney's Aladdin, where um, like um, Jasmine is talking to the uh, the tiger, and she says yes. she's the line is supposedly. You know what, what was the name of the tiger in that? Raja. Raja, like run, mm-hmm. run, Raja, go, go off, go away. But like apparently, what she actually said was, "All good teenagers take off their clothes." Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> As I read this. Well, there's lots. Yes, but there's a lot of King, theories. The lines, there's lots of S E X. Yeah, yeah, but more than that, they animators tend to reference other animators, um, and and they're past history like i i'm thinking specifically of up for instance when they uh the the cliff side that uh that they're going to to uh you know where he and his beloved uh wife of many years wanted to go and retire is actually a direct pull from the old animated the lost world which was actually a live action and stop motion animation hybrid from 1927 mm, I think. yeah yeah um great movie uh but it's literally just a lift directly like it's the exact same cliff structure it's it's you know tiny things like that that are really well, amazing. Yeah, inspiration comes from many different places and it's, of course working within the realm and medium of filmmaking then you've got a lot to draw from indeed indeed you do yeah um, I I hadn't seen this movie in a very long time. I mean, how long? Uh, several years. We watched it before, didn't we? Uh, I th- think that it's yeah. We watched it like a year and a half ago. A year and a half ago. Okay. <laughs> That's a long time. Well, with you know, <laughs> when you have an elephant's memory, it's uh... a. <laughs> um, yeah, but I actually liked it a lot more this time than. 
before because before last time I saw it, which was the first time since it came out in 1988. Uh, oh wow! It was. I felt like I could see the puppet strings too much. Um, yeah. When I saw yeah. it all those year and a half ago, um, <laughs> that it just seemed like I couldn't really get into it. It just seemed dated, and it just seemed mm-hmm. too. Too much a product of its time, and it, it didn't hold up well. Like the years had not been kind to Who Framed Roger Rabbit. But uh, seeing it again this time, it just seemed to work better. It just seemed to. It it was a nice kind of antidote to all the completely sort of poor digital special effects that you see lately in movies like The Hobbit. <laughs> It just seemed to be it's yeah, more yeah. organic. It seemed warmer, yeah. more lovingly done. I mean, it was just there was a lot to enjoy, even though in my heart of hearts, my thirty three year old self, I knew that they were actually in Toontown. Uh that right, it was actually right. just animated. Did you know that? Well yeah, no, I knew that. Yeah. yeah that was something that I caught on <laughs> well, to. And it's right. also all hand drawn animation as opposed to digital animation well yes yeah, yeah that's I mean, what i mean this was 88 this was before the advent of digital we only had a few movies that cg in them at that point in time yeah um yeah it it to, for me this this was this is kind of a towering achievement and i i don't have the same perspective that you do because i probably watched this movie 50 times <laughs> As a child, not not an exaggeration. I mean, I I knew I was sitting here watching it and quoting every single line of the movie as it was happening. Yeah, because <laughs> um, I you know I just watched it so many times. I loved it so much as a kid, um, and and so I was it, I was grateful to go back to it because I probably haven't watched it in probably three or four years, um, which is a long time for me not to have watched this movie. <laughs> but. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was great to go back to it, and it it's such a fun movie, and it's so. I'll, I'll say also, this is uh, you know, this is Zemeckis in his sort of first hot period, mm-hmm. right? I mean, he's kind of in another hot period right now, um, making really interesting films. Flight, I thought, was spectacular, uh, but and and he's he's got this movie coming up about uh, Philip Petit, right? The yeah. The man who walked between the the twin towers, uh, with Joseph Gordon-Levitt mm-hmm. as Philippe Petit. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, but uh, but this was Zemeckis, you know, just post Back to the Future, and it he was he was sort of he was riding a high at this time, and I think that it's just such an expertly crafted film, as well with expert have, performances. It could have easily failed miserably. I mean, oh, as yeah. an artistic in an artistic level, yeah. But, uh, oh yeah, uh, but it was it was a it was a success, and it was a huge box office success. I remember, massive. And massive. Um, Siskel and Ebert, or at least Ebert, named it one of the best movies of the decade. I would, I would, I would could buy that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's it, it is an extraordinary, towering achievement uh, of a film, and I think that it is. Uh, sometimes marginalized because as you say, Phil, it might look a little dated nowadays. It might look a little, uh, of a time and a place, but I think that that's almost, you know, I mean, like you're looking at a movie that's 20 some odd years old 
uh, almost 30 years old, about mm-hmm. 1947. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. you know, it's like it's a movie that's dated using tropes that are dated tropes even for the time that it was made, you know, sort of aping the style of the the P.I. movie. But then and, and this is the part that I think is the real towering achievement of it is that it it fully embraces the cartoon world and seamlessly integrates it with that of the real world and that they do that by allowing Valiant, this sort of KGPI to abuse cartoon logic, right? I mean, that's that's sort of what always invariably with Lena Hyena and <laughs> she's chasing him down and he rips the, <laughs> the, the strip in the center of the road and throws it against the wall and she, of course, cartoon logic has to follow the strip that's going down the middle of the road because that's how it works yeah. um and you know that's that's how he manages to survive uh the hyenas uh or the uh, the weasels, weasels rather yeah, yeah their, their cousins the hyenas had already laughed mm-hmm. themselves to death uh the weasels uh you know laughing themselves to death that whole you know uh, when i was watching that uh segment when they're actually laughing themselves to death and, and leading up to that segment Perhaps the most effective and pointed use of foreshadowing in any movie oh, I've ever yeah. seen. <laughs> oh, yes. I mean, like, there's like two or three instances where they, where Judge Doom says, "Don't laugh. Remember what happened last time you laughed." And then, like, you're like, "Oh, okay. Hmm, maybe I should make a note of this mentally." And then, sure enough, if, as they say, if there's a gun on the wall in Act One, it's going to be fired in Act Three. Well, yeah, this is like this is like the. Chekhov's gun of of wackadoodle yeah. comedies, right? Because so many things in the first act, in the first even fifteen minutes of the film, are come around again at the end of the film. The like they, you know, they they're at the Acme Toy Company and they open up all these boxes of stuff, and like every device that they open comes into play late in the film, right? And is used for for a purpose that actually benefits our heroes, right? Um, so it's, it, it, it uses that, that sort of Chekhov's gun device over and over and over again, but very deftly and very, uh, very smartly, right? Dropping these, these hints very early on that we subconsciously take, you know, note of, Mm -hmm. but then don't actually, when they actually come to fruition, it's very satisfying as a viewer to actually see them used, see them come through. Yeah. 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 I'll also say that I think that this is one of Bob Hoskins' great performances. Uh, the late Bob Hoskins. He does a great American accent. He does a great American accent. I didn't know that he wasn't American for most of my young life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he, except for the fact that, you know, well, once I saw Brazil, I maybe understood. Uh, <laughs> but which accent <laughs> which is he doing? We just talked about. Well, that's the question. And he's actually probably he's doing an accent when he's in Brazil. That's anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I, I like the voice acting in this film is spectacular on on all parts, um, as you might expect from a, a colossal collaboration like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of the all of the the performances, I think, are spot on. It like hits the right the right balance between zany and serious. Um, as I said before, there's death. There's heavy themes. There's sex. There's, you know, uh, drinking uh, heavy, alcohol. Heavy drinking. Yeah, all of these things are, are just part of the world. And 
God, I love to see that in a PG movie. Like this is mm-hmm. this is what PG used to mean in the '80s. Honestly, there's there's a movie. Uh, I think it's Jabberwocky, which is a was a very strange movie made by some of the crew from Monty Python. Yeah. And that movie is rated PG. It came out in like the early '80s. 1977, yeah. actually. Oh, oh, the late '70s yeah. then. Rated PG, and has full frontal nudity. Yeah, and and graphic and violence it, too. And graphic violence. I mean, look at Jaws. Jaws is PG. The yeah. Original Jaws. That's a bloody, gory film. Yeah, definitely. And that to me is that's that should that's exactly what PG should mean. Parental guidance. <laughs> I mean, there's some there's some disturbing or adult things in this, but kids can deal with it. I as an eight year old, nothing in Roger Rabbit didn't make sense to me, and I had an innate understanding of all of these things to begin with. And just so you know, our listeners know, I mean, Andrew is not some kind of pervert who wants to subject your children to adult themes before they're ready. Um, what, <laughs> what 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 we're talking <laughs> if about? If you say here, so, <laughs> what we're talking about here is if you. Wanted to have you know risque themes in your in, in children's movies. There are now so many outlets where parents can go online and find out exactly why a movie is rated the way it's rated, and they could say, "Oh, this movie contains smoking," and they'll decide yeah. then, oh, "Okay, I don't mind if my son sees this, or I do mind if he sees this, and I but, he's not going to see that movie." Yeah, but and but my objection comes when the MPAA, the shadowy weirdo organization of PTA members that it is they rate movies like if it has a cigarette in it it gets an automatic PG-13 rating there's actually a movement of people who want to classify any movie with anybody smoking in it as an R-rated film yeah like that kind of stuff is absurd to me it's the most ridiculous thing I could possibly imagine yeah yeah it makes me I wonder what rating an e-cig would get in a film (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> PG-13 G okay uh, so yeah uh, great to watch this film again um, I love it every time I watch it I unconditionally recommend it to anybody out there I think it's spectacular I also incidentally think that the opening animation that opens this film is one of the funniest things ever animated I just think it's <laughs> magical uh, I remember seeing it in the theater yeah, and too. my entire laugh, my entire family just in tears. We were just in tears watching it. It was so funny. My parents included. And they were obviously not eight-year-olds. <laughs> so that would be physically impossible. Um, it but would. you're going to think this is really funny. But as I said at the beginning of the, of the show, that opening animation actually, I, I was like heartbroken watching that. <laughs> Watching Roger Rabbit <laughs> screaming and getting burned and abused and trying to save even, that even baby. now, even Not so now, much now. But when I first saw it as as, as an eight year old, it was just it was so that's that scene is so intense and hyper real yeah. that I was just like I really I felt bad for Roger Rabbit. But then if you watch it, you know, and and you get past that scene, even a sensitive child can see. Oh well. These tunes don't He's like the tunes like to be hurt as long as it entertains people. And they don't actually get hurt, they just get you know, manhandled a little bit. Yeah, it's that's what tunes are good that's for. What they're for. <laughs> they're, they're there to be abused for other people's entertainment. As Roger says, he just wants to make people laugh. Yeah. And in that case he succeeded with me and my family. <laughs> Unqualified success. Unqualified success. 
so thank you, Emily, for suggesting Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Uh, You're welcome. It's a great one. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll watch that anytime. Um, so if you haven't seen it, if somehow you, you missed it uh, growing up, if you're around our age or if you're a youngin and you haven't had the chance to see it yet, go see it. It's, it's great. It's absolutely spectacular. Um, yeah. That's, that's, our, that's our podcast. <laughs> so please join us for our next podcast when we'll be talking about another animated film, the new Pixar movie, Inside yes. Out. Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, it's uh, it's Pete Doctor, and he doesn't really he doesn't really mess up. His track record is Monsters Incorporated and up. Mm. Prior to this, uh, Monsters Incorporated being my favorite Pixar movie, so I'm looking forward to seeing this one and uh, and talking about it for sure. Indeed. Yeah. So thanks for joining us, and we will catch you next time. See you then.